We've seen a lot of firsts this year, but we've never seen back-to-back rounds at the same place on different tracks. This is The Bend. Scott McLaughlin will want this title done and dusted before Bathurst, so watch him apply the screws over the six races that are coming. But don't expect the Red Bull Racing duo to let him have it all his own way as they team up and gang tackle him without his plus one defence. Where are the rest? Can we get consistency from the Melbourne teams that have been on the road for more than two months now? Or is the journey taking its toll? At each venue this year, someone unexpected has stepped up to the plate. Who will it be this time? This is Supercars in Preview. Welcome everybody to Supercars in Preview. Uh, we're previewing the first round of the Tail and Bend, the first of the double headers. I'm joined by Andrew Clark. How you going, Clarky? Not bad at all, Nev. I'm sitting here waiting. I'm waiting to see what we're going to get out of these two rounds at Tail and Bend. I mean, I'm really, really, really looking forward to the fact that we're going to be on different track layouts on consecutive weekends. I think that's an exciting thing to do for the supercars. I'm looking forward to it too, because just any way to mix it up at the moment, we've, it's almost like being deja vu. We see it one weekend, and we've seen the same thing next weekend, and the teams have seen to have got a handle on it by the second weekend. This is going to be a little different, and I love it. Yeah, no, it's good because as we know we, we're coming in on a you know soft tyres only weekend again. So there was the risk that it was going to compress the way it has done in the other two places. So yeah, this is a really good way to mix it up, which was always the attraction of going to Tail and Bend for a, a double header. And maybe they could have done a triple header and we could have used the um, the full GT track as well. So uh, done three different ones over three different weekends and that would have been even more interesting. Well, well, we'll get into this a little bit more, but first... There's a bit of news going on, and I wanted to cover off some of that for the folks listening. First of all, the big news is Repco have, well, sealed their sponsorship deal with Supercars and are going to be the series sponsor from 2021 to 2025. I know, they just seem a little bit cashed up, don't they? I mean, we've got the Repco Bend Super Sprint this weekend. We've got the Repco Bathurst 1000 from next year, and now we've got the Repco Supercars Championship Series. So really putting in, which is a great thing for the sport. A little concerned that um, we've got a lot of eggs in one basket, so we kind of hope that the eggs stay nicely uh, nicely fresh. We wouldn't want it to go off a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's a, it's a good thing, clearly, because Virgin Australia was going to have to bail out. I mean, you can't go through virtual bankruptcy and solvency that they've gone through this year and keep spending millions of dollars on a sport. So they um, supercars have been fast in replacing it. Other sports, like you know, the AFL, for instance, is still relying a little bit on Virgin. So... Yeah, um, good on supercars for being on the front foot and getting a quick and speedy resolution. Well, it's actually some good news in a time when it's nothing but bad news, so to speak, that a sport can actually announce the sponsorship for the next five years. Oh, I think it's I think it's been done well. Yeah, and it's all if you believe what we talked about a couple of preview editions, editions ago, where you know the sports effectively up for sale. I mean, the, we know that Archer Capital is looking for a way to get out. So having a sponsor locked in for five years, um, the TV rights, which will be announced probably at Bathurst, will will also be a good thing because that'll be a multi-year deal as well. So it's almost like they're, they're shoring everything up. They're getting every everything in place to say, here is the value of the sport now. It's very easy to measure it. Come and give us some money and let's go. <laughs> well, 
talking about 2021 and onwards, it's still a bit up in the air how the calendar is going to be for next year because it looks like no street circuits are going to be on the cards until the latter half of next year because people are still, these governments are a bit gun shy because they're not too sure what's going to be happening early next year. Yeah, and I think it's also that you want to be planned. You don't want to have to be making changes all the time like we've had to do this year. And like this year, we couldn't avoid it. It just is a thing. But next year, we can sit down and say, well, we can avoid it. We know that the first half of next year could still be very turbulent in terms of, you know, the COVID world order and what's going on. We could get more lockdowns. We could get a third wave in Victoria. We could get third waves, second and third waves in all sorts of other states until there's a, an immunisation program, a vaccination available. So what they've said is we're not going to do these street circuits because street circuits require so much manpower power to get the infrastructure in place you know i can turn up at sydney motorsport park or the bend and all i'm going to do is have a few track marshals and i can go racing if i want to do adelaide or newcastle i've got to spend weeks building a track so that's the main reason behind that but you know it also talks about throwing into doubt um, the melbourne grand prix the adelaide australian grand prix so you know that might end up moving to the end of the year as well so we might have a bit of a lazy start to the year and, and a really frantic end of the year with with the big name races all packed into one little two-month period so the AGP, it's down again to setting it up, the whole thing you're talking about. They've just got to, the, the infrastructure needed and the amount of time to set up that infrastructure? Yeah, that's part of it. But also, will will Formula One want to come to Australia at the moment? You know, I think everybody's being very guarded about how to keep their series alive um, and they're all taking as little risk as possible. So I think it's a bit of the you know, risk mitigation factors, but it is also the fact that it does take a lot of effort to get those things built. I mean... You know, we see it. I, I drive past it every single day going into the city. So I know when they start building it. And the build takes a lot more than the knockdown, by the way. It takes a lot of time to get things in place, but really easy to pull it down. It's a bit <laughs> like the old Lego. It takes, takes you a few months to build a thing, but, geez, I can get rid of it in a couple of seconds. <laughs> well, with all the talk of street circuits not being around till the last half of next year, the one thing it has opened up is the possibility of the supercar championship starting at Bathurst, but not the 1,000, a 500k race. They're touting that because they can't have the Bathurst 12-hour, which is a GT race and a lot of internationals, that that date could be filled with the V8 supercars at a 500. Uh, they're saying two 250k races. It's funny, isn't it? We're just talking about not doing street circuits and then we say, well, let's go to Bathurst. But Bathurst is a different case because all the infrastructure is there. The concrete walls are in place. Um, so everything's ready to go in that place. And all you've got to do is effectively put somebody on the gate saying, don't drive your car here because there's racing cars on the track. So, you know, Bathurst is a little bit different. And it's quite exciting to think that we could start the season there in a semi-sprint race format to really see it going. And uh, as I say, or as you said, the... Um, the GTs won't be there. We know the 12 hours off and we know that Supercars owns the race um, and they've got the rights to run a race that weekend and we'll have been off for a long time. I mean, we finish in the middle of October. So if we want to start early in February, they've still had a longer gap than normal. Well, I'm all for starting the championship at Bathurst. I'm even a proponent of making the Bathurst 1000 the first race of the championship. Yeah, and I'd love to do it a little bit more. I'd like to go a bit more hardcore with it as well and take it to the indie type construction where they have two weeks of practice and getting ready. You know, the month of May is such a big thing in, in Indianapolis 500. So why can't we do the same thing at Bathurst? We used to 
practice on a Wednesday. So if we do it at the start of the year, like we could do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like we could practice every day of the week and they get their pre-season test done and everybody get plenty of track time. We get a huge build-up at a time of the year when sport is relatively quiet. I mean, at that time of the year, the only thing that's happening is a tailing out of the um, Big Bash League cricket series and soccer, which no one really cares about. So, you know, it's a good time to be doing it. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think it would be would be a nice idea. And I think it was Cochrane who said there are no sacred cows, so we don't have to run Bathurst in October. <laughs> true, true. Talking about Bathurst, but something closer to now, um, that's this year, is there's a hub being created for Victorian drivers and it looks like maybe a couple of Queens, a Queensland team. Yeah, they're doing a few things because um, obviously as elite athletes, which these drivers are, and we're talking, you know, Michael Caruso, James Moffat, Tony Delberto, James Golding, Dale Wood and Garth Tander, who all have got co-driving duties with teams up there, and they haven't been with the team. So they're all still here in Melbourne, um, and they've got to get there. So it means there's a 14-day quarantine period to get into the facility um, and to get yourself into New South Wales and out of quarantine. So the supercars have been talking to NRL in particular, but I believe they've spoken to all sports about how they've handled it to see how we can best build this hub and make it work. And there'll be a few others go in there as well. So the whole of the GRM team, which is running the wildcard, they've all got to go in there as well. There'll be extra people from Tickford, for instance, and Walkinshaw going up there. So, you know, like Tim Edwards, for instance, is probably going to be at Bathurst. So he's got to go into the hub for, for 14 days at the team's expense, from what I understand. So uh, it's not a cheap exercise. I mean, it's three grand for two weeks. Well, any, I- any, <laughs> any idea where the hub might be? No, it's just going to be somewhere in New South Wales where there are training facilities. So, you know, whether they, they could actually do it at Bathurst because they could base them in the um, in the university when all the universities... You, you could base it at the hotel so, that's on the track. Yeah, but you've got to get the training ability in there. So you've got to be able to isolate the training facilities. So you need to be somewhere where, where they can go out and do their exercise. So the hotel doesn't give that ability, whereas um, the university, for instance, does. If you've watched any of the news footage of the AFL teams in their training, they're all in these ovals that are somewhere and they put up temporary fencing all the way around it so that no one can get in and no one can get out effectively. So they all get bussed from their hotel to the to this facility to train at, um, whereas some of the clubs are at places where they can do all of their training from the hotel. So all they got to do is walk out the door and, and go. So, yeah, the ideal setup would be to say, like, I just walk out my front door and I'm training rather than having to get in buses and be secured. But it's got to have the fencing around it to stop people from getting in. Are you saying that the race teams all have to be in their separate own individual hubs with a tra- with their own training area attached? No, no, no. Everybody, because they're all coming from the same spot, can all be together. So if you look at what's happening in AFL, which is, yeah, the easiest case for us to put what can happen for supercars, you know, you've got people from Geelong. So Gary Ablett's up there training with someone from Richmond and training with someone from another team. So they're all training together. And that's effectively what will happen with this one. If you're all from Victoria, you can all go to the same hub. If you came from West Australia, for instance, you'd have to go to a different hub. Oh, okay. Getting on to something a bit more juicier. There's been a bit of a fallout, uh, a bit of war of words going on between Triple Eight and DJR. 
I know it keeps going, and this time it's not uh, Ryan's story and um, and other people. This is the drivers. So McLaughlin was clearly very upset with what happened and how he how Van Gisbergen pushed him wide and allowed Wind Cup through at the same time. And you know, I think probably justifiably so, given the way Triple Eight carried on last year at Bathurst about team orders. Now they've gone out there and done the same sort of thing again. So you know, he's a I can understand why he's a little bit pissed off about it. I thought he was a bit sooky about it. I think he should have been happy because he did win the round <laughs> after all. But I know these competitive beasts want to win everything and um and and it'll you know they all want to do that. So it kind of fired it up a little bit. You know, Jamie fired back with his one plus one quip that you know that, that was them. So Coulthard is McLaughlin's plus one and you know, they, they run a one-car team effectively and Triple Eight runs a two-car team. So, yeah, really getting juicy. I love it. I think they can keep going at each other as much as they like. It gives us something to write about. And I love the fact, what I really like is that they've got some emotions about what they're doing. And it brings me back to the Scaife Ingle thing at Eastern Creek, which was the ultimate show of, of explosive passion about what you're doing. Scaife was so pissed off, he, he, he wanted to run out onto the track and try and drag Ingle out of his car at 200 kilometres per hour. We're not quite at that level, but I think it's great to see the passion involved in what they're doing. So you feel that the angst between the teams is real? It's not just put on for show? Oh, no, I think it's absolutely real. I think it's uh, deep set. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of angst in there from the holding guys about the Mustang and how the Mustang was last year. That said, you know, the Mustang's been pegged back and the Commodore's been made faster and the same results are still pouring out. So I'd be sitting if I was McLaughlin and saying, well, you know, you guys were duds. It wasn't that we were cheating or our car was too good. So I think that's really kind of put some you know, some fuel to the fire and it's really made it grow. And I think it's a cracker. So, you know, it's just going to keep on going. Um, it's a pity Davey Reynolds is so uncompetitive because it'd be nice to see him in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm loving it, I must admit. And sticking with DJR, the rumours are that uh, Scott could be taking off to IndyCar, which leaves a hole in the team. And Anton Di Pasquale is the one that's talked about possibly taking that position. Yeah, that rumour's been um, been firing around all year, hasn't it? That, um, you know, if Scott McLaughlin goes to IndyCars, and I think the chances of that are looking is looking even better than it was before, um, you know, he's in good chance to lock away his third championship in a row, and I think he'll be sitting there and saying, well, that's enough for me. I've dominated this thing. What else can I do? So, boom, of an Ambrose, you know. I've done enough here. Let me see what else I can do and go and take on some of the biggest guys in the world. So he's he's really inspired by that concept. Clearly, Penske's keen to make it happen. So I, my gut feel is that he'll be doing IndyCars next year. And as you say, it opens up a gap there, or at least one gap, and it could possibly open up two because your question is, is Fabian Coulthard good enough to carry the team? Um, short answer is, as much as he's a nice guy, he's not doing enough to say that he can carry that team. So they've got to bring in a gun. Anton Di Pasquale, how well has he stepped up this year? And I think he's the leader of that team now at Erebus. Um, he's in front of Dave Reynolds on every measurable score this season. And he fits their profile. Like, have a look at him. He's so clean cut. He's so so perfect that he'd be a great fit for the team. And, uh, yeah, I, I reckon as the smoke gets higher, the chances of it get stronger. <laughs> we'll see flames at some stage, hopefully, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah, probably, yeah. Talk about where there's fire, there's smoke, or where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, there's persistent reports that Penske could be pulling out of supercars. Yeah, Auto Action's been hard on this all, all year that, that they've been thinking about their future in the sport. 
you can understand why you come in and you do your job. You know, you get bagged unmercilessly like they did last year and, and casts doubt over the character and of everybody involved in the team. So you can understand how you could feel a little bit hurt. I can't see it happening with the Penske business model. I mean, the Penske business model is where we do business, we go racing. They've got businesses here and that's why they did it in the first place. So I'd be a little bit surprised if they did pull out. They might scale it back a little bit and they might rely a little bit more on Australian investment to keep it going. But I reckon they'll still be there in some form. But the question will be, is that form good enough to take on Red Bull Racing continuously? So the whole coronavirus thing's probably changed the way Penske has has looked at his businesses as well. He's had to his plans that he had at the start of the year are totally different now. Yeah, and remember he's taken on a couple of extra things. Like he, he bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and he bought the IndyCar series at the same time. So he's not even sitting with these with his own IndyCar team anymore. You know, he's saying I'm the overseer of the whole thing. So he's pulled himself away from that part of it too. So, you know, there are changes and there's been quite a few changes in the way things have gone for him this year. And as you say, you know, coronavirus has just kind of buggered everybody's plans, but particularly those from overseas wanting to be involved in Australia, it's made it even harder. I think the rumours are there, but I think that at the end of the day, when Penske does its pros and cons analysis, it'll stay. Oh, well, sticking with the virus, uh, Tickford had a video of its crew catching up with family. That was, that was quite touching. It made my eyes leak. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a terrific video. Um, they're, they're just the four guys from the team waiting for their families to arrive at the airport. And uh, you think these guys were on the road for 62 days. They had 12 hours to say goodbye to their family and disappear to keep motor racing going this season. Um, and they've spent 62 days already on the run when they caught up with their family for the first time. And you look at it, some of them have got young babies and, yeah, I thought it was a really, really well done video, um, full of class, and it showed the humanity of what's taken to keep us racing this year. And uh, you know, as I think I said in one of my tweets, you know, it's um, yeah, thanks to everybody, they've made massive sacrifices to keep the show on the road, and uh, good on them, and well done. And I hope they they get their their full rewards at the end of the year. Well, moving on, the TV deal. Well, some people are saying it's actually done and, and supercars are just are just waiting for the right time to announce it. Some people are saying, or supercars are saying, it's almost done. What is the latest with TV? Well, I think it is almost done. We know it's going to be with Channel 7 because there's no other option. Channel 9 and Channel 10 don't, don't want it, so it is going to have to be Channel 7 with Foxtel. So, in effect, it's no different to what we've got now with Channel 10, um, except that it'll be Channel 7. And Channel 10's in massive strife financially. You know, they've laid off staff all across the country. Um, So, you know, spending big on a supercars program kind of stands in contrast to what they're doing. And I'm sure if they end up in administration, um, their administrators wouldn't be too keen on their on that sort of behaviour. So they've had to shore it up. Channel 7's got the box seat. The only problem there is that it keeps the price down, doesn't it? So if there's no competition... Um, then you can go in pretty cheap. So Channel 7 clearly will be trying to do it as cheaply as possible. I mean, they're bailing out of the um, the Big Bash League and the cricket contract at the moment, but I don't think that all the money they're giving back is going to end up at supercars. It's not that big a deal in a sense. <laughs> it's really down to the, the last little full stops and the crossing the T's and dotting the I's and just locking away you know, what races they're going to cover. And probably they need to have uh, a schedule for next year before they can really lock it away. Well, that makes sense. Uh, it- what does help supercars is I think one of the head honchos is now the head honcho at Channel 7. So 
supercars has got someone at Channel 7 who is sympathetic to motorsport and understands it a bit and understands probably how it can be made profitable for the network. Yeah, but remember, it's all about, it's all about, as you said, it's all about profit. You know, you can love a sport, you can love it to death, you can love all sorts of things. But if you're in business and your business is putting TV shows together, it's got to make money. You know, so they'll do it if they know they can get enough financial reward out of it, which means that, you know, advertising's got to come, uh, which means viewers have got to be there and all sorts of things. So it really comes down to how has the package gone this year. And I believe the figures are really strong this year, especially the, you know, with Channel 10 being much more heavily involved than in the past. So, you know, things are good and it's probably a good time to strike in that sense. As I said, the downside is that there's no competition. Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about James Warburton. I think if he doesn't know how to make money off motorsport, considering he ran the sport there for a while, no one does. I know, but he will also know every little thing about the back room. He'll know exactly <laughs> how it runs. So, so you can't pump, puff, you know, puff your chest out and walk into the door and say we're bigger than we are because he knows. Yeah. So um, he's responsible. His responsibility is to Channel 7, not to supercars, and he'll know where all the warts are. So it might actually work against them in a sense. Well, time will tell. JRM, wild car for Bathurst. So they've got an extra car on the grid. Does this mean they've got 25 cars on the grid so far? Yep, it does, doesn't it? Which is really exciting when you think about it. So the whole JRM crew is, um, is packing up and heading up to the, to the hub, whenever, wherever that's going to be, and they'll be heading up there you know, probably 14 days before the Wednesday. So um, they'll head off in, a, in you know, uh, probably just after the bend. They'll do their thing. Obviously, the team has cars sitting around you know they, they ran the cars last year so they're sitting there ready to go they're just going to prep them and get going and it's really driven by gary rogers and and his passion for young racing car drivers so he's got two young guys tyler everingham and nathan hearn who are keen to do the race um, they've obviously brought a little bit of money to make it happen which is always helpful but it is also that gary rogers philosophy and and how good is it going to be to see? Well, I probably won't see him on the grid because he won't probably won't go into the hub. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, would be great to see him back on the grid as well. But uh, I don't think we'll see that. But nice to see the team back out there and still retaining an interest in the sport. Well, moving on, it's the last item on our news, but it's a big one, and it's the Gen Three oh, news. Yeah. What's going on now? There's stuff going all around about what what's going to happen. We'd all like to know how it's going to happen. I don't think they quite know themselves, or supercars know exactly how it's going to happen. I suppose the first thing is the first thing is Roland Dane reckons he's got a, a manufacturer locked away um, if the rules are right. What do you see going on there? Well, clearly he was always at the front of any race to get a new manufacturer. I mean, they effectively developed the current Holden there, the, the development team, so they know how to do it. Roland Dane's clearly a very clever businessman, and um, he says he's got them locked away for 2022, probably possibly would have had them for 2021 if things had gone the way they, they needed to. And the rumours just keep on persisting that it's Toyota, that Toyota's going to come into the sport and, and run the things. But I struggle with the marketing rationale behind that, though. I just... Don't see it. So Howard Marsden, the great late Howard Marsden, who ran Ford's Motorsport and Nissan's Motorsport for many years, said that you always had to have a relationship between road car and race car. So if you can see a relationship between a Toyota Camry and motorsport, then um, you've obviously drunk too much. (laughs) Now, the Supra's a logical go because it's a really sporty, nice car, but it's a sports car. You know, it's not a GT, it's not a touring car. So you'd be fundamentally making huge changes to the structure of the sport. But it's also quite small. 
You know, it's a lot smaller than, say, a Camaro or a Mustang. So you'd have to make massive changes to it. I, I don't know. People keep talking Toyota. I just can't see it. I think it has to be somebody else with a more practical aligned car. Well, BMW's been touted even out there. Yeah, the chances are that BMW, if they're going to do it, will be with Walkinshaw Andretti United. Andretti Motorsport runs the Formula E campaign for the for them. Chas Mostert's a BMW driver at Daytona and so forth. So there's really strong connections there. So you're really talking the other options, you know, and there are plenty of other options. I mean, we've spoken about the Kia Stinger before. You know, there's Hyundai's, there's Genesis, there's Lexus's which is more, you know, even though Lexus is a Toyota brand, they've got more aligned cars for this than do than do um, Toyota. Then you've got all the others. You know, Nissan's got the GTR sitting there. Audi's got a car. Jaguar's got a car. Like, it's not like we're short of options of people who've got a car in the right shape and size um, who are chasing a, a knowledge. They're chasing a pedigree. Even something radical like Maserati, who, you know, you've seen their new car that they've just released. I mean, they're getting serious about the world at the moment, Maserati. So maybe they could come in and run one of their cars to prove their sporting pedigree. Um, and that's what it's going to happen, come down to. And, and how exciting could it get if that's the way it rolls? But isn't the rule set up? You could just about run any shape you wanted to. That's fine. So a team could come along and say, I want to run run, run this shape, just a bit like Betty Clemenko did with the Mercedes-Benz cars. But it sounds like everybody's out there trying to find manufacturer money. So they're trying to link it so a manufacturer comes in instead of just going, hey, I like the look of that car. I'm going to build that shape. Yeah, it's it's a factor clearly because um, everybody's always thought you have to have a manufacturer involved. And we've spoken about this before. You do not need a manufacturer involved unless they have the design registered in this country. And there aren't that many car companies that have been smart enough to register their designs. So I could go out tomorrow, for instance, and do a Camaro and General Motors can do absolutely Absolutely nothing about it. Um, I can build it. I can do whatever I want, and they, they, you know, they just lose out. The question is, if I take a Toyota Supra, which is so much smaller than the base shell is going to be, you know, I've driven the Supra, terrific car, loved every minute of it, but it's very small. Like the cockpit's small, the car's small, so you'd have to be starting to stretch it all. Remember what everybody said when the Mustang came out last year, you know, or two years ago. I thought it looked a bit like Lightning McQueen you know, because it was all this distorted type of thing. And, and that's what they would have to do to the Supra. So I think you'd be destroying it. So you've got to have some design, some some sort of structural integrity that is close to the platform that's required, not miles away from it. Well, Ford has kind of weighed in on the conversation and they've made rumblings that they're not quite happy with the Gen 3 rules. And if some of the proposals which uh, supercars are talking about actually happen, the Ford's going to rethink their involvement in supercars. One is that Ford wants a, a rival or a peer to race against. They don't want to be the only manufacturer actually in the sport. But it's also got to be something that competes with the Mustang to make sense. And so, again, we come back to the integrity of it all. So, you know, we know we're going two-door sports car or, you know, sportier cars, so two-door options. So, you know, it's got to be something in that vein. So, you know, like a, a six-series or four-series BMW, a Mercedes that's the two-door, something along those lines is what's going to be required. But your question is always going to be for Ford. What's my marketing benefit from it? So is the Mustang competing with something that somebody's thinking about buying? So think about it. If you wanted to buy a Mustang, what's your other options? You know, are you thinking of the Toyota Supra at the same time? I seriously doubt it. 
So, you know, let's get into the integrity part. And remember, Mustangs are good. They go from 60 grand. Um, you can get a Tickford package that pushes it up to 120 grand with, you know, umpteen thousand kilowatts of power that just shreds tyres at the drop of a hat. There's Rob Herod's one as well, the R-Spec, you know. So there's a really good range of Mustangs and the aftermarket Mustang stuff that makes it really quite exciting. So that puts it into that BMW M4 type category. It puts it into the Mercedes, into through the Lexuses and all of those sort of things. So... If Ford can't see a relationship between what they're racing and their competitors, why would you bother being there? What what actually makes it even less desirable for them is the fact that their supercars could be developing their own, the chassis, so it's all developed at supercars. It stops any of the manufacturers or teams doing that, plus the fact that they talked about the possibility of a crate engine right, one engine for all cars. Ford aren't interested at all. They want, if you're running a Ford, they want a Ford engine and they want to actually have a say in the way it's developed. Yeah, and I think that's the last remaining part of the DNA that happens when you go into a formula like supercars. Clearly, you know, there's an identity through the body shell that is a similarity between the, the car, the race car and the road car. The second part is the engine, you know, and that's the critical part to it. So if you take that away i mean again why would you bother you know if you're cutting the cost of running the sport so much you don't need ford's money then you're okay but if you still want ford's money then you've got to pay attention to how they do it i think there'll be a compromise i think they'll you know the crate engine option will be there for people who don't have a suitable engine but they're not going to force ford to run the crate engine well buckle up fans because this ain't going away it's going to get more not less no, no, it is. And there's more things start to sneak out and, you know, people start you know, doing their politics, you know. Oh, I think if they don't do this, I'll pull out, you know. There'll be plenty of that over the next few months, well, this, no doubt. Yeah, this, is, this so. is from rules for 2022, correct? Yes, correct. Right, so yeah, we've got was, another year coming of this stuff going to go on. Well, probably not. It'll we'll probably only go until the, um, until the announcement of what it all is, which will probably be in about February next year, I would think they'll tell us exactly what the rules are. Teams will know beforehand so they can start their development. So, you know, if Roland Dane's going to build whatever's, um, he's going to want to start on that a little bit earlier. I know supercars and this is how I see it happening. Supercars will bring out a proposal, say around February, the teams will argue and carry on about it and they won't announce it to us till about half of the year. I don't think they've got their act together that much. I really don't. And I just think there's a big squabble about to happen. Yeah, I think I think they'll I think you've got the timelines a bit mixed up. I think they'll have their platform to the teams by December. And I think they'll have January to think about it. And I think they'll be certainly looking to launch around the start of the year. And it would have been easier to launch at the end of this year if you if the year was going past Bathurst, but it's not. So I think they'll be looking to do something to generate some interest during that period of time. Let's hope so. Moving on to a preview of the actual race that's coming up at the Bend. They've they've raced there two times in the past, 18 and 19. This year was going to be uh, replaced the Sandown 500 with their own 500 event. That's gone by the wayside. We talked about it earlier. The most exciting thing about going to the Bend is they can have two track configurations. Well, they can have many more if they stay there longer. But uh, there's two track configurations over consecutive weekend. This is new and I love it. 
Yeah, it's good. There's a yeah, there's a website, Nev, racingcircuits.info, which has all the racing car tracks around the world in it. So if you go in there and look up Tail and Bend, you can see the different track layouts that are available. I think there's about 14 different track layouts that they've got. So we're choosing for this one, we've got the international layout, which is the one we've used in the past, and what they're calling the West Circuit. And so the West Circuit is a 12-turn, 3.41-kilometre track, and it peels off the international track just before turn six and cuts back in at turn 14. So we drop a whole lot of that wiggly stuff at the back that does nothing. So we should see, you know, like a bit more challenging times for the cars. My personal view, um, having been there for each of the two rounds that they've had so far, I don't think that international circuit suits the supercars all that well. So I'm hoping that the West Circuit does, that, you know, just changes the dynamics of what's going on. Well, yes, I've heard that actually the large circuit is quite boring especially to to view on. I'm not too sure what the drivers think. Yeah, it's, um, well, I think the drivers are quite happy with it. It's a nice, big, wide, flat track. You know, Sorry, not flat track because it's got a few undulations, um, but the circuit's really smooth and, and really well prepared. I mean, it's like a modern Formula One track. You know, it's, um, it's got those sort of bends, but the Formula One tracks that we've seen in the past haven't really suited our cars. I mean, while everybody loved going to Texas, the racing was crap. You know, the, those sort of tracks just don't suit these things. Whereas take a track like circuit, the street circuit at Adelaide, which absolutely does suit these cars, the racing is just cracking. But what you don't get is, yeah, you know, we can't get, we don't see a lot of overtaking. We don't see a lot of things going on, which could be a factor of two things in the past. One is that McLaughlin was just so goddamn dominant last year that no one was going to get near him no matter what happened. And the year before, the Red Bull racing cars were so dominant that no one was going to get near them. So we might be artificially feeling the track because somebody's just had their head around it so beautifully. This time around, you know, it's been one of those years, hasn't it, that lots of different things are happening. So who knows? You know, we could come out there. I'm expecting some big things from people. I expect Nick Perkat, for instance, to be really hammering them again hard and, and hopefully progressing and getting that extra 10% out of it to get a little bit closer in the races and so forth. And I think the different track layouts is only going to help that. Well, look, the facilities are definitely first class. That's a good thing about being a Formula One standard. Do you know which circuit they're going to run this weekend and which circuit is the next weekend? Yep, we, um, we get the international circuit first and then we get the west circuit. Um, and as you say, the facilities are just astounding. You know, remember, it's got a hotel in pit lane. So the teams will be staying in the hotel in pit lane. They will not even have to leave the track. There is crowd allowed. I'm not sure how many, but there is some, you know, some crowd will be allowed to get there. And um, what is it? It's a one-hour drive from Adelaide. So people will probably drive up from Adelaide for the day. And you've got a two-hour spread on the other side for protection from the COVID Victoria. So, um, you know, it's a big, big area for them to draw some crowd from. But as I say, you know, the facilities are just astounding. You know, it's, they've done a beautiful job of doing it. You know, they just needed to get a couple of things more, a little bit different on the track itself to make it work. That said, I reckon the 500 would have been beautifully suited to it. In what way? I think it's more an endurance base that, you know, we're, we're going to test the cars by our, you know, by the load we load onto them. So, you know, we're going to test the tyre wear, we're going to test the suspension, the driver endurance and all those sort of things. Um, and we're not going to rely on out and out overtaking to define the race. So, you know, it probably is suited to an endurance facility. So it would have been good, I think, for the 500. Talking about tyre deg and all that kind of stuff, what is the tyre wear like at this circuit? Is that part of the reason why the, the racing is 
was a bit so-so because of not really any tyre wear or tyre deg. Is yeah, it? no. <laughs> I think it's what they call a low deg. A low um, deg, low really deg. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it punishes the tyres too much. Um, from memory, I'm just trying to remember. I, I, don't re- I don't recall people having dramas. You know, the races were fairly evenly split in their pit stops if they wanted to do it. Um, so I don't think we're going to see any of the drama of Sydney Motorsport Park, for instance, or Townsville, because Townsville turned into be a bit higher on the tyre than we expected as did Darwin. So we'll be a little bit higher than we expect, I think, just because of the way things are going this year with the change downforce and so forth on the cars is making the tyres work a little bit harder. So we are seeing more sliding and that damages tyres. So, yeah, I don't think it's a huge issue on that side of it. We're back to the five sets of soft tyres for the weekend in both races. So there won't be any of the the tyre juggling. It'll be just go for it. Well, we'll put some links of the track maps on our Facebook page. Plus, there's also a a video YouTube, which we'll put a link to on our Facebook page, which is someone doing the West Circuit so people can see a bit of in-car, I think, of what that looks like. Yep. Yep, a little Porsche Cayman GT4. Um, And the funny part about it is you're looking at the track layout and you're thinking, that looks like the international circuit. But then when it gets to turn six, it just keeps going straight. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like it's like on your sat nav you know if you're going through the dingley bypass here in melbourne which isn't quite yet on the set on the things you're driving through paddocks that's what this looks like as well but uh, it is definitely a west circuit well i'll put a plug out for our facebook page supercars in preview and supercars and in review. preview and review that's a that's a mouthful um just i know they wouldn't let us put the brackets in it just visit us and we'll have some links up there for you to enjoy I wanted to get into last couple of years, especially last yep. year, what went down there so we can get a bit of an understanding. You felt that the Mustangs had an advantage at the bend last year? Well, it certainly looked like it, but it, it could be skewed. I mean, this was McLaughlin at his peak, I reckon, for the year. He didn't get two poles. He only got one pole. So Chaz Mostert took a pole and Scott McLaughlin grabbed the other one. But he was second on the grid in the first race. But he did win both races and he ran, ran them ran pretty easy and on his terms and they were easy victories but the Mustangs if you look at it like we had McLaughlin, Mostert and Di Pasquale on the first race so we had one Holden in there on the podium and then the next day on the podium the next day it was McLaughlin, Davison and Mostert so it was three Mustangs on that particular day Um, so it was a big Ford weekend and I think you know probably skewed it all a little bit but McLaughlin was just the the peak of his powers at that time and um, I don't think anybody was going to stop him You, you could have put him in a billy cart and he would have won now, this this was a big change from 2018 where it was uh, Red Bull Racing basically took all the spoils. Yeah, it was Wind Cup and Van Gisbergen, so they shared the wins around in the first time we went to the track. So, um, yeah, big, big changes in that sense that we, we shifted from a you know, Red Bull Racing, the new Holden was beating the old Falcon. Um, then we got the new Mustang and the new Mustang built what we can now call the old Holden. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was interesting to, to watch it turn around on its ear. To just keep you up to date with the championship status now leading into this round, first we're going to go into the polls for this year. And obviously there's been 22 pole positions that that have been up for grabs so far. And obviously leading that is Scott McLaughlin on 10, Jamie Wincup on 6, Shane Van Gisbergen on 3, uh, Andre Heimgardner, Nick Perkett and Todd Hayes Hazelwood all have 1. And they're their only pole sitters. And how good is that, though? Because those three guys, that is their first pole positions ever for those three. 
I think that's a great effort. Clearly dominance from the big guns, but it's great to see those other guys shaking the tree a bit. If you if you were just to say who scored the most polls or whatever, everybody knew Scott McLaughlin, but he hadn't scored he hasn't scored half of the polls. You'd think that he had by the amount of coverage he's been getting from all this. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Like everybody's talking about his dominance in qualifying, but you know the guys from Red Bull Racing have done a good job as well. Um, they've got nine poles combined, and he's got ten. He didn't, you know, Van Gisbergen dominated on the Sunday up in Townsville. So, you know, I don't think the qualifying dominance is quite what people are thinking. I think, you know, he's got a bloody good car, and he's mostly doing a good, good job. You know, he's had a few errors lately in qualifying, so um, he's exposed a little bit there. Getting to race wins for this season. And Scott McLaughlin is on 10 race wins. He's like he's got as many race wins as poles. Uh, Jamie yeah. Winkup has four wins. Shane Van Gisbergen has two. Uh, Nick Perkett has two wins. Anton Di Pasquale and Jack LeBrock both have one. That's it on the winner's circle. Yeah, and it's interesting because that is actually half the wins for McLaughlin because we had the um, the two poles in Melbourne that didn't turn into races. So he's got 10 wins out of the 20 races that have been run. Um, but look at that finishing average. 2.7 is his finishing average uh, so far for the season with Jamie Wincup at 3.4. So logically, they're the two guys who are fighting the championship. Well, I'll get into the driver points in a minute, um, but I just wanted to say that I feel that Shane Van Gisbergen with uh, Red Bull Racing is his main job, apart from winning races, which is probably the best way to go about what I'm going to suggest, his job is to be interference on Scott McLaughlin and to cause him as much pain and anguish on the track and try and help Jamie Wincup finish ahead of him to try and get get back up into the points contention. Well, he's kind of the only one really um, with yeah. Scott. So, but I honestly think that Shane is, he's the spoiler. He's the joker in the pack at the moment. Yeah, he certainly is. I mean, we've only got three rounds left, so there's only 900 points up for grabs. So yeah, his chances in the championship are, are virtually zero. So his job, as you say, it's to take points. It's to annoy to annoy McLaughlin, you know, so get him to the point where McLaughlin does want to unload after a race and complain. You know, is Van Gisbergen going to go and drive up beside him and shut him in so that he can't open his door again like he did in New Zealand last year? <laughs> you know, all of these tricks of the tricks of the game are going to come out to play. So, you know, let's see where it ends up. But Van Gisbergen is going to be a very annoying person to Scotty McLaughlin over the next three rounds. Well, the last little table I want to get into before I get to uh, the driver standings is podiums. Scott McLaughlin, shock horror, has had the most podiums since 16, followed by Jamie Wincup, who's not far behind on 12 podiums. Then Shane Van Gisbergen's on seven. Cameron Waters is on five podiums. Mostert's on four. Then you've got Percat and Pye equally on three. Then you've got... Anton Di Pasquale, Lee Holdsworth and Fabian Coulthard, those three are on two podiums. And then Jack LeBrock, Todd Hazelwood, James Courtney, Andre Heimgardner all have one podium. I'm surprised that James Courtney has one podium. He's been in a lot more exposure and I would have thought he had more podiums. Yeah, you've got a lot of fourth places, I think, is the uh, short answer to that. So he's been pretty pretty close, but not quite there at times. So, yeah, he's had a good year, I think, James Courtney. It's a, it's a good recovery from where the year started for him. So, But as you say, only the one, po- one uh, podium, which is a bit strange. And he, he dropped off a little bit, I think, at Townsville. So he's another one who'll be looking for a bit of a form resurgent coming into this weekend. We've got the point score for all the current driver's standings. 
And Scott Let's McLaughlin. see if you can follow my little calculations. I oh, know they're pretty good. I like him. Scott McLaughlin's on 1,834. Jamie Wincup is on 1,691. He's 143 points behind. And to me, the magic number is to stay within the 300 of Scott McLaughlin because if he doesn't finish Bathurst and you win, then you're going to win the championship. Um, but then after that, Chaz Mostert's in third, 1,390. Um, he's 301 points behind Jamie Wincup. So he's more than a round win behind Jamie Wincup, right? And he's 444 points behind Scott McLaughlin. So to me, the championship is now a two-horse race. Chaz effectively is one and a half rounds away from the pace. So, you know, that's, as you say, that's a really tough market to make up, especially when McLaughlin's still racing well. I mean, McLaughlin can just potter around and finish second and third in every race and still win the championship. Absolutely. Fourth place is Cameron Waters at 1,369, 465 points behind the leader. Shane Van Giesberg is in fifth place, 1,357, 477 points behind the leader. In sixth is Nick Percat on 1,281, uh, Fabian Coulthard in 1,172. In eighth is Mark Winterbottom on 1,166. Uh, followed by Lee Holdsworth on 1,143. And then rounding out the top 10 is Dave Reynolds on 1,134. A big whopping 700 points behind the leader, only nine points behind ninth place. So there's a battle up and down the grid there. And also, yeah. there's guys are going, ha, I'm not going to win the championship. I'm going all out to win whatever I can now. Yeah, and that's what you say. There's there's two little packs which are interesting. So that Mostert, Waters, Van Gisberg and Percat thing, it's 109 points between those four guys. Their egos on the line. They all want to come in third in the championship if they can. But they do, as you say, they want race wins. Um, it'd be great to see them knock up a couple. I mean, imagine Chaz Mostert winning one at Walkinshaw Andretti United. I mean, that would be a great fill-up for the sport. But, you know, Cam Waters and Nick Percat need wins as well. So that's a great little battle. And then you got that next pack all the way from 7th to 14th. Eight cars. Coulthard. Eight cars, yeah. And there's only, you know, they're all within that one round of each other. So what is it, 1172 to Jack LeBrock in 14th on 942. So, you know, we got battles all the way up and down there. And it's like we're watching the races. Remember we look at the races and you think, oh, yeah, first, second, third, we're a bit pedestrian. And then you look at how close the rest of the field is. You know, you've got these little packs where, you know, they've got four or five cars within two seconds of each other. This is happening in the championship, and and this is why it's interesting and fascinating. I, I think the next three rounds are going to be great to watch. Well, I'm also interested in the team's championship because Red Bull Racing are leading the team's championship and the Shell DJR team is coming second, and that's really mainly due to Scott doing what he's doing. It's Fabian Coulthard's a bit missing in action. I reckon if Fabian had been doing better – the, the DJR team would have been on top of the uh, team's point score. Yeah, although Fabian's helped slightly by the troubled year that Van Gisbergen's had, so it takes a little bit of the pressure off him. But by the same token, it's also the time when you should be capitalising. So as you say, you know, if we got a little bit more out of him during this year, they should have had that you know, well under control by now. They've got the fastest cars in the field, I think, overall, and they're not getting their reward out of that driver. Oh, well, as... Uh... Was it Jamie Wincup said? It's uh, 
Shell DJ one plus one. <laughs> yeah. And the interesting thing when you look at it also is there's a huge gap between those two teams and the next best in the field. I mean, you know, the truck assist and boost mobile racing part of Tickford is 692 points away from the lead. You know, that's massive. And the other Tickford team's only just a little bit behind that. So really big gaps to go into the field there. I did do an interesting thing during the week after my eyes were leaking during that um, that video. Uh, so the, the teams that have been away on the road probably deserve a 25% bonus for the way they've had to live their lives in the past little while. And if you do that to the truck assist team, they're only 100 points behind the leaders. Um, so, you <laughs> That's know, pretty good. Yeah, I think the, the cost to them, the teams and their performances has just been massive. So, you know, you notice that most of the Melbourne teams are being a bit more inconsistent than the Queensland teams. Um, and that's a factor of being out on the road all the time. Well, folks, thanks for joining us for the preview of The Bend. Clarky, I appreciate your input there. It's always valuable information. And, well, look forward to, to racing at The Bend. We've been spoiled, haven't we? Four weeks yeah. in a row. <laughs> I know. It's not been like a big in mud. I don't know what to do with myself. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> folks, thanks for listening. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us this week to preview The Bend, a fascinating pair of racing weekends that fully exploits the multiple layouts available. The first weekend is on the now familiar international layout and the second on the new West Circuit. Theoretically, anyone can still win the title, but in reality, it is down to do as the championship enters its home stretch and Bathurst is lurking as the season closer in four weeks' time. But first, we have to get through these six races to see if Jamie Wincup can hold or close the gap to Scott McLaughlin, who's shown some cracks recently. And what part will Shane Van Gisbergen play as the ultimate spoiler? What about Tickford and Erebus? Can they score more wins for the season? And can Walkinshaw, Andretti United and Brad Jones Racing open their tallies? We don't have any of those answers. Only the Ben can give us those. But we do know any of the above is possible. This has been Supercars in Preview. Join us next week for the first of the reviews.